This is the On The Banks podcast. Follow us on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation. Now, here's your host, Lance Glynn. Hello, everyone. I am, of course, your host, Lance Glynn, and this is episode 14 of the On The Banks podcast, our week five Rutgers football preview. If you don't already, you can follow me on Twitter at Lance underscore G11, and you can follow On The Banks on Twitter as well at OTB underscore SB Nation. If you want to listen to any of our previous episodes, you can find them on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. Just search On The Banks Podcast. You can find them on SoundCloud. Just search OTB underscore SB Nation. And of course, you can find them at OnTheBanks.com. With fall sports underway and the winter season soon beginning, make sure to get all your coverage for every sport at OnTheBanks.com. Now, what I've done the past couple weeks is before each game of the football season, I've sat down with someone who covers Rutgers football and someone who covers the opposing team. This week, however, I thought it would be great and insightful with traditional Big Ten plays starting to give you, the listeners, an overview of not only the Scarlet Knights and the Indiana Hoosiers, but the entire Big Ten conference. And yes, I know obviously Big Ten teams have played each other. Rutgers has played Ohio State. But now Big Ten play from here on out is kind of beginning and the traditional Big Ten schedule is starting. Although Rutgers may be struggling this season so far, the Big Ten, like usual, looking at it as a whole, is is a dogfight filled with teams in the top 25, obviously, fighting for a playoff spot. You have Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan State, Michigan, Wisconsin. They are obviously the top five teams. All five going into this year had aspirations of making the college football playoff and at least a New Year's Bowl. You know, besides the playoff spots, however, and the fight for those playoff spots, the Big Ten this season has been filled with quite the controversy surrounding a number of programs. So I thought for you fans and for you listeners, who better to talk about the conference and everything surrounding it than the voice of Big Ten football, Kevin Kugler? Now, let's talk to the reporters. Here's your host, Lance Glenn. He is the play-by-play voice of Sunday Night Football, the NCAA Tournament, the Final Four, and the College World Series on Westwood One, and you can hear him every Saturday as the lead play-by-play voice for the Big Ten Network. I am now pleased to be joined by Kevin Kugler. Kevin, thanks so much for coming on the On the Banks podcast. It's, uh, it's great to be on with you, Lance. Thanks for having me. So let's start with this Rutgers team, you know, one that currently sits at 3-1 and one after, you know, three straight blowout losses to Ohio State, Kansas, and then Buffalo last week. A lot was expected from this program, at least from the fans here in New Jersey this season. But from what you've seen uh, of the program under Chris Ash, why do you think the Scarlet Knights have really struggled so mightily this year? You know, it's it's the, the 24, 64, $100,000 question. I mean, it's <laughs> one and three. One and three is not where Chris Ash thought this team would be. You know, we had them a couple of weeks ago against Ohio State. And, and, and look, I, I don't think, had you been able to inject Chris Ash with truth serum before we talked with him, there's no way he went into that Ohio State game thinking his team was going to win. He's not ever going to say that to us or to media or anybody else. He's not going to say, yeah, we're just hoping that we can, you know, not get blown out. But he said to us at the time, we're using this to see how far we've come. We don't want to get injured. We've got, you know, the rest of the schedule to play. We don't want one game to ruin our season. And they were using that kind of as a measuring stick. And I, and I think, unfortunately, that measuring stick showed how far this program still has to come. Now, to me, there's a little bit of unfairness when you try, if you're any team outside of Penn State or Michigan right now, to gauge yourself against what Urban Meyer has built at Ohio State because that team is the most talented team 
in the conference and, and, in my opinion, one of the three or four most talented teams in all of college football. So to sit there as a building program like Rutgers, to sit there as, I mean, take a, a program like Nebraska as well. I mean, there are a lot of programs in this league that are trying to build right now and to use them and say, well, let's see how we are compared to Ohio State. That's really tough to do. Um, but it's quite obvious what's happened after the Ohio State game, the loss at Kansas, the loss to Buffalo. And I have to think Buffalo is a pretty good MAC team, but it is not something that you want to see happen to you at home, getting blown out by a team you're paying to come in and play. It's obvious that the program has further to go than I think maybe even Chris Ash thought at the beginning of the season. And and that's probably, and I'm sure it's very disappointing for him, for John McNulty's offensive coordinator for the entire program. I mean, you know you've got some young guys out there, but you were hoping that these young guys would be able to take that step. And the biggest question mark right now, it sounds like, is a quarterback. I mean, they love Art Sitkowski's ability and his play moving forward, but there's pressure to win games right now. And, and obviously when you have the conversation of whether it's Sitkowski or whether it's Rochino, you're still trying to figure out exactly how you can win a game right now without being – without sacrificing the future of a quarterback that you really like. And, you know, you mentioned Art Sitkowski, and a lot was kind of put on his shoulders at the beginning of the year. You know, obviously coming over, highly touted freshman quarterback, uh, came from IMG, also a New Jersey guy, originally played at Old Bridge. So far, while he's shown moments, you know, he's shown that he has the arm strength, he hasn't hit really the expectations of many fans around here. I guess, what is your opinion on how the freshman has played from what you've seen from him? And just from your time covering the Big Ten, in your experience, how have you seen it? You know, how tough is it for a true freshman quarterback to kind of come in right away and be effective against such talented opponents? You mentioned like Ohio State and, of course, later in the season for Rutgers, Michigan and Penn State. Yeah, it's just really tough. Are you confident in your offensive line in front of him? Are you confident in the talent that you have surrounding him to help him out? That's the question that you have when you look at Rutgers. I mean, can you? do you have the pieces around him to protect him from mistakes he's going to make? Any true freshman who starts at quarterback is going to make mistakes unless he's surrounded with an abundance of talent. A lot of first-year quarterbacks, regardless of whether they are freshmen, are going to make mistakes unless they're surrounded by an abundance of talent. Look at Dwayne Haskins at Ohio State. We talked about the Buckeyes. He's a, he's a first-year starter, but he's surrounded by an abundance of talent. He's surrounded by a terrific offensive line. He's got two 1,000-yard rushers in the backfield with him. His job is easier because there's so much more of a supporting cast around him to help him out. Art Sitkowski does not have that supporting cast surrounding him. Now, again, that does not excuse going to Kansas and getting blown out. That doesn't excuse playing Buffalo at home and getting blown out. That's, that's frustrating for fans. It's frustrating for the team. I, I can only imagine how Rutgers fans feel right now. They're pulling their hair out because <laughs> I thought this. And I'm, and I'm not somebody who was sitting around leaning on every game of the Rutgers season, but I thought after the Ohio State game they were embarking on a stretch of very winnable games that could put them in the conversation of bowl eligibility if things fell in the right place makes me sound like a complete fool for thinking that, but I looked at that schedule and thought, you know what? All right, they've got the win over Texas State. Get through this Ohio State game healthy and then come back with Kansas and Buffalo and Indiana and Illinois and even Maryland on the road, all games that at that point looked winnable. Well, you know, now we know in hindsight Kansas game was a blowout. Buffalo game is a blowout. Indiana comes in as a two-touchdown favorite this weekend. I, I just – it's, it's been a disappointing start, obviously, for everybody surrounding Rutgers. 
I don't pin all of that blame on Art Sitkowski. It, it's hard to be a true freshman quarterback or a first-year starting quarterback if you don't have an abundance of talent surrounding you that's developed and ready to play. And I just don't know that you have that yet at Rutgers. Let's talk about the team Rutgers is playing this Saturday. Indiana is coming to highpoint.com stadium. You know, Tom Allen, I think, has done a pretty good job in taking over the program after Kevin Wilson left towards the end of the 2016 season. Just what's your impression of this Indiana team and how Tom Allen has kind of molded them both offensively and defensively? Yeah, and I think that was a tough job for him to take because of everything that was going on with Kevin Wilson or at least the, the, the cloud around that regime when he took over. I, I will say this. I think he's done an outstanding job. The one thing he needs to figure out, and based on last week, he can maybe chalk it up to Michigan State, but they didn't get anything done on the ground last week. That's a, that's a team that needs to be able to establish itself in the running game. They didn't get anything done at all, 29 yards. They averaged under a yard per carry. Now, obviously, you know this. This has been a problem for Rutgers this year, stopping the run game. Um, so maybe this is a get-well weekend for the Indiana run game. But that's one area in which I know they want to shore up going into this weekend. They also got pretty banged up this past weekend. Um, injuries, they're going to be missing out on Marcelino Ball for the first half because of targeting ejection. So they are going to come in a little bit shorthanded to this game. It's more of a reflection on what Rutgers has done the last couple of weeks, why you see the disparity, I think, in the uh, in who's favored and who's not in this game, because Indiana's coming off a game against Michigan State that they battled, and that's what they've done in games this year. They've battled, and they got a good win over a Virginia team that I think is a pretty solid squad, but they've got to get that running game established, and I'm sure that's an emphasis for Indiana this week going into this game with Rutgers. So let's look around the Big Ten, and I want to stay in the Big Ten East. You know, you were on the call last week for Ohio State Tulane. You know, the game Urban Meyer obviously returned from suspension, and we talked about the Buckeyes earlier. You know, obviously Meyer's a great coach, but this Buckeyes team with all the talent they have, Haskins, uh, Weber, Dobbins, all the weapons they have on the outside, uh, they're, they're, like you said, and, and I agree, one of the most talented teams in the nation. I think personally, they're probably one of, you know, maybe two or three of the only teams that could actually challenge Alabama. How good do you think this Ohio State team is? You know, you said you think they're the top of the Big Ten. Do you think they could reach that level where they're, you know, maybe top of the country, a national title contender, and maybe facing a team like Alabama uh, in that national championship game? I think it's possible. I, From what I've seen of Alabama this year, Lance, they are the cream of the crop in college football. I mean, I just, they've not been challenged. Now, Will they be challenged by an Ohio State team? They could be. I mean, look, Ohio State has Haskins, who's playing at a very high level. He's an extremely accurate passer. And I always chuckled when people were talking about the quarterback battle in the spring between Haskins and Burrow. And I think people just defaulted to, well, Burrow's got the big arm and Haskins is the runner. And that's completely opposite of what Dwayne Haskins is as a quarterback. Dwayne Haskins can run if need be, but Dwayne Haskins is a great pocket passer. I mean, this is a kid who has no problem standing in, going through his reads, and finding somebody to throw the football to, and has shown terrific touch on the ball. So they're going to go on offense as far as Dwayne Haskins takes them, and I think they can go far. The difference with this Ohio State team is what they do in the back end of their defense, where their secondary has played better and better, and their defensive line, which even without Nick Bosa, is one of the best defensive lines 
maybe in college football, certainly in the Big Ten Conference. Now, you can argue whether Rashawn Gary and Chase Winovich are better defensive ends at Michigan than what you have now with Jonathan Cooper and Chase Young. It'd be a really interesting argument, I think, because I think both of those ends are very good. I thought the edge was Ohio State's when you had Nick Bosa. You take him out and you're taking out the best player defensively that the league had, at least through the first few games of the season. But then you had Robert Landers in the middle. You had Draymond Jones, who's, who came off that huge game with TCU and was solid in the few minutes he played against Tulane this past weekend. They've got good young guys backing them up. This Ohio State team, Haskins and the defensive line, to me the biggest two keys and the biggest two reasons why I think they can be a playoff team and why they can at least give a team a challenge when they get to the playoffs, assuming they do. You know, look, their rivals, and you mentioned the Michigan a little bit, I think they kind of fell behind the eight ball a little bit in terms of the playoff because of, obviously, their week one loss to Notre Dame. They've been able to rebound since, and I think Shea Patterson has been a big reason why. You mentioned the defensive line. That's been a huge reason why as well. How have you seen, though, with Shea Patterson, him kind of develop during his still young tenure in Ann Arbor? And with the schedule they have coming up, do you think even with that one loss already that they can still push for a playoff spot if things were to go their way the rest of the year? Oh, there's, there's no question because their schedule will allow it to go that direction. They still have the road trip to Michigan State. They get Wisconsin coming in. Of course, they'll play Ohio State at the end of the year. If they win those games, those are all impressive wins. They're going to be top 25 wins. They're going to bolster what Michigan does. And if they're able to win those games, they're obviously going to be in the Big Ten championship game, probably get another shot at a Wisconsin in that game. The West does not appear to be particularly strong this year, and Wisconsin, I think, will again, rise to the top of that thanks to their win over Iowa this past weekend. But what you've seen from Shea Patterson is a little bit of an evolution of the offense. Now, I, I kind of throw out what we saw last week against Nebraska. I don't take anything away from Michigan for that win, but Nebraska right now is, is a hot mess trying to figure out what they want to do under Scott Frost, and they're still trying to figure out what this program can be. Their defense has struggled. Their special teams has been atrocious, and so you didn't really get the chance to see a full-on test for Michigan this past weekend against Nebraska. But I think what you've seen a little bit of, and I think you'll continue to see it, Michigan's not going to go full spread offense, but we've seen a little bit more of quarterback in the shotgun in a spread tight set with Michigan as the weeks have gone on because Shea Patterson is more comfortable there. And I'm, and I'm anxious to see how Jim Harbaugh continues to trend in that direction. You mentioned Nebraska. You're on the call for them uh, and Purdue this week in Lincoln. The Huskers, look, they currently sit winless. You know, it's been a tough start for Scott Frost, but of course, you know, still in year one, still getting his, you know, or doesn't have really any of his players in, still needs to go through a full recruiting cycle. However, being Nebraska and, you know, how passionate Husker fans are, how surprised are you uh, of the slow start? You know, so much hype going into Scott Frost returning to Lincoln, uh, a tough break that their, their first game was canceled. But, you know, this is not the start that I'm sure a lot of Nebraska fans envisioned. No, it's the first time they've, they've started 0-3 since 1945. So this is not a start that any Husker fan has really ever experienced. And a lot of people around Nebraska have talked over the years about have they hit rock bottom. And last year, a lot of people thought they'd hit rock bottom. They got boat raced by Minnesota. They got boat raced by Iowa at the end of the season. They were just getting blown out by everybody they played. Mike Riley gets fired. Scott Frost, who by all accounts was the hot young coach in the country, regardless of where he had gone to school, chooses to come back to his alma mater to try to fix his program. And and I think what people have found out is that to do it the way Scott Frost wants to do it 
it's going to be more of a rebuild than people thought. I, I think people expected Scott to come in, wave sort of a magic wand, whatever that is, in college football, and all of a sudden Nebraska would be a seven- or eight-win team and they'd take their slow climb up. I thought they'd be the same way. I thought there was enough talent there that he'd be able to do that. But the culture is, a, is the thing that is still the sticking point with Nebraska. Now, look, losing that first game to weather to Akron really hurt this team because they didn't get the chance to play that first game. Then Adrian Martinez, their true freshman quarterback, gets hurt at the end of game one, a very competitive game against Colorado. They start a walk-on quarterback in the Troy game and special teams break down some defensive snafus and an ineffective offense, and they're upset at home by Troy. Then they have to go to Michigan, and they just get blasted out of the stadium in the first half, and essentially they put Adrian Martinez and a lot of the regulars on the bench in the second half because the game wasn't winnable anymore. So the 0-3 start is bad. They go into this Purdue game in a game that is a, I think will be a very competitive game. I think it will be a really good game. And I think you better watch early if you're going to watch this game because both of these teams do most of their work or have most of their work done to them in the first half. Purdue scores something like 68% of their total points in the first half of games this season. And Nebraska has fallen behind by an extraordinary number since the start of last year. So if you're going to watch Purdue-Nebraska on BPN this weekend, and you like offense, watch it early because there's a really good chance that most of the offense that will occur in that game is going to happen in the first two quarters. Uh, looking at other teams in the Big Ten West, you know, Northwestern took a big hit a couple days ago. It was announced leading rusher Jeremy Larkin will retire really effective immediately with cervical stenosis. Of course, you know, we wish the best for him, but just how big is his loss for North, for Northwestern in that offense? You know, yes, they have Clayton Thorson, but, you know, Larkin, I believe, at least, was far and away their biggest offensive threat. No, oh, it's just a crushing blow. And you hate it for the kid. I mean, to have to retire from football due to cervical stenosis, it's just your heart breaks for him because the, 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 the running back spot was, it was okay. Now it is really a tenuous spot. You're going with John Moten the fourth to start. He has been a backup to both Justin Jackson and Jeremy Larkin. He's been a short yardage guy. He was banged up last year. He's not had a lot of opportunities. I think it's only 15 carries that he's had this season, and he's only averaging about two yards per carry on the year. So he's a patient runner who hasn't had a lot of opportunities to get going. And, oh, by the way, now his first opportunity to get going comes against Michigan this weekend, and you have to deal with a defensive front that is among the best in college football with two ends who fly to the football. That's a huge loss for them. Larkin was, at least to this point, the only game-breaker we've seen from that running back position for Northwestern. I think it really hurts and puts a lot more pressure on the quarterback position, puts a lot more pressure on the rest of that offense without Larkin out there. It's, it's heartbreaking for the young man, but it really does hurt this Northwestern team. In you know, what was such an exciting game last week, Wisconsin bounced back, uh, beating Iowa in Iowa City, uh, a close game all the way down. I think Wisconsin scored a couple late, well, Wisconsin scored late uh, to take the lead and then scored uh, uh, some late points as well to make it a little bit wider. Um, but look, they fell to a BYU team that's now in the top 25. But beating Iowa in Iowa, does this kind of get them back on track and kind of put them back in as the favorites coming out of the Big Ten West? I know you mentioned it earlier. You know, it seems like they're every year the team to beat in that division, uh, you know, lost early. But does that win against Iowa kind of, 
you know, bring them back as the cream of the crop in that Big Ten West division? I think it rights the ship. And I think that's what they, Paul Christ and that team was looking for when they went to Iowa City. And I, and I watched all my, all my colleagues, and I don't, I'm not going to call any of them out, but, you know, they picked the on the BCN <laughs> tailgate show, which is on every morning. They picked the games. Everybody picked Iowa. Everybody picked the Hawkeyes in that one. And nobody picked Wisconsin to go in there and get that win. It was a giant win for them to get against that team. I, I, I think Iowa was a really good football team, especially on the defensive side of the ball. That's a, that's a hard-nosed defense. They're only going to get better on the offensive line as the years go on, as the year goes on, because that's all Kirk Ferentz teams do is get better on the offensive line all season long. There are a few head coaches in college football that do a better job of coaching offensive line than Kirk Ferentz, who's one of the best in the country. And, and here's the thing that stood out to me, and I saw this after the game, and I, there, are a lot of, there are a lot of regular starting quarterbacks that get heat across college football. Alex Hornibrook is certainly one of the most criticized in the Big Ten. Everybody talks about, well, his arm's not very strong. He's not this. He's not that. What he is is 24-3. and three. He's 24-3. and three. I mean, I don't care what his arm does. I don't care what anything else does with Alex Hornibrook. He leads his team to wins. Whether or not he's doing it in a dramatic fashion or an exciting fashion or he's doing this or that, give me a guy who leads my team to 24 wins out of 27. There are not more than about five teams in college football right now that would say, no, I think we can do better with X, Y, or Z. I I know he's not a game breaker. I know he's not a big arm guy, but, man, he's a winner, and he he doesn't usually – Make mistakes that cost his team games. I'll, I'll take it, and that's what. And that's why Wisconsin is again the favorite in the West. They've got a terrific running back. They've got a big offensive line as they do every single year, and they've got a quarterback who figures out ways to win. And Alex Hornibrook is one of the really quiet good stories in the conference this year. You know, this weekend, of course, Penn State, Ohio State. It's the big matchup of the week, not only in the Big Ten but really in the country. Besides that one, however, you know, is there kind of a matchup in the Big Ten, and you may have mentioned it with Purdue and Nebraska, but is there a matchup that really kind of intrigues you that fans could kind of keep their eye on other than that Ohio State-Penn State game? Well, you know, look, if you want a well-played or an evenly matched, maybe I should say that, an evenly matched game, I really do think the Nebraska-Purdue, not just because I'm doing that game, but I really do think the Nebraska-Purdue game is going to be an evenly matched game. So if you're looking for a, an afternoon appetizer before you enjoy Penn State and Ohio State on Saturday night. I do think Nebraska-Purdue is going to be close. I think Nebraska is kind of moving into the desperate territory, anxious to get a win. They look at Purdue as a team that they can play with. They're not going to go in intimidated by Purdue. Purdue feels really confident coming off what I thought was one of the more impressive wins in conference this past week when they knocked off Boston College. Uh, I I think that's an intriguing game. And and we, we talked about Northwestern. Northwestern's battle this week, I think, is is going to be tough. I mean, you've got to figure out a way to beat Michigan, and that's not going to be an easy thing to do. But the first thing you have to do is figure out a way to stay with Michigan. I don't know that that's going to be a close game. I'm interested in that just to see how long Northwestern can hang and if they can do something to affect Michigan's confidence in their offense. But, of course, the marquee matchup is Saturday night. It's, it's the game that everybody is going to be paying the closest attention to not only in the league, but probably across the country. Penn State, Ohio State is one of the more enticing matchups on the entire schedule on Saturday, and I'm anxious to see how it turns out. 
what do you want to see from both teams, Ohio State and Penn State, um, at this game? You know, again, the biggest game, arguably, uh, of, of the weekend in the entire country. What are your kind of thoughts going into it? Well, a couple of early thoughts. And, and look, Penn State's offensive line is much improved from where it was a year ago. They also have a little bit of depth in that line, which is really something they've lacked over the last couple of years. That's a big thing because they're going against that defensive line. Chase Young, Jonathan Cooper, Robert Landers didn't play last week against Tulane. He'll be back in the middle with Draymond Jones this week. So it's a really good defensive line that Ohio State will send at that offensive line. Can they protect Trace McSorley? Can they open up holes for Miles Sanders? We saw Miles Sanders have a giant game last Friday night against Illinois. He's not going to – I mean, I, I may be proven to be wrong on this, but I will predict he will not have a 200-yard game against the Ohio State Buckeyes. Now, one thing to pay attention to against Ohio State, and this is something that has plagued them all year defensively. While they are very good up front, they're youngish at linebacker and inexperienced, that is, and they're secondary next to Jordan Fuller. They still have some questions at the other safety, although Isaiah Pryor has been making good moves. But the one thing that has really driven this coaching staff nuts all year long has been big plays. Last year, Ohio State allowed five plays of 40 yards or more. This year, six of them already have been allowed by Ohio State. That was going into the Tulane game. Tulane didn't get any 40-yard plays, but they had three plays of 30 yards or more against this Ohio State defense, and Tulane was really never in that game. So big plays are possible for Trace McSorley and his wide receiver core Look for K.J. Hamler to get one of those big plays on Saturday night. He is a big play waiting to happen every single Saturday. And if there's a big play to be had in the passing game, my prediction is K.J. Hamler will get that play. Now, I think Ohio State wins this game. I think it's a touchdown or less game. But I really do think that if Penn State is going to win it, K.J. Hamler, the freshman wide receiver, can play a really big role from a big play standpoint against this Buckeye beat. Kevin, a couple more before I let you go. You know, I want to get your thoughts on something a lot of Rutgers fans have kind of talked about over the years since they've joined, since you know the programs joined the Big Ten, and it's a big conversation I think, especially since the Big Ten was left out of the playoffs last uh, last season. Recently, your colleague Jerry Donardo made a point um, and brought up division realignment. You know, looking at the East and looking at the West, kind of balancing them out. I just want to hear your thoughts on the Big Ten division and if you know. They, they should realign, and if they should balance them out to, to make them more even and, and to help down the road potentially make sure that a Big Ten team gets in the playoffs every year. Here, here's the, the concern I have with that, and, and I, I don't necessarily totally disagree with Jerry, but I, I will say this. How often are you planning on realigning the divisions, and under what circumstances are you going to align them? Because the, the current – dominance in college football by an Ohio State in this division or a Michigan or a Michigan State is not necessarily what it will be five to ten years from now. Maybe Nebraska gets back on track in the West. And then all of a sudden you have two top 25 teams in the West in Wisconsin and Nebraska. Let's say Michigan State falls off or let's say Ohio State. Remember, this is not that long ago that Ohio State was hovering around the 500 mark after the End of one era before the Urban Meyer era began, this was a team that was still trying to find its way. Obviously, Penn State had some problems, a lot of those sanction-related, but there's no guarantee that the East, as it is aligned right now, is always going to show the same kind of dominance that it is showing right now. Maybe it will. I don't know how you align it to make it better. Do you shift 
you know, Michigan State over to the West? Do you shift Michigan to the West? I, I don't I don't know the answer to how you realign it to make it better. But the only concern I have with that is, do you fall into a situation where you are constantly realigning the divisions based on current trends, based on current strength? And if so, how do you do that for the next? Okay, say Nebraska goes out and runs off three straight top ten recruiting classes. Seems unlikely, but say that they do. All of a sudden, then, do you realign based on projected strength? Well, they're going to be good, so let's shift things around a little bit more. That, that's the conundrum you get into when you respond to current situations and do things that can affect long-term because there's no guarantee. Nobody's staying static. Everybody is trying to change. Everybody is recruiting. Everybody is coaching. Just because one team or one program or one division is stronger than the other right now. There's no guarantee five years from now that's going to be the case. And that's my only concern with that is do you get into a situation where you are continually shuffling, continually realigning in a constant effort during shifting times to make sure that it's balanced in some way, shape, or form? Kevin, last one before we let you go. I want to ask about your partner in the booth, Matt Millen. You know, it's been well chronicled, obviously, everything he's dealt with health-wise, yet he's still there by your side broadcasting the games. How much of a pleasure is it to work with Matt and to have him beside you each Saturday doing what he loves? Well, look, uh, despite what social media says uh, during games uh, and, you know, social media, Twitter is always just a bastion of positivity. Everybody always wants everybody <laughs> on Twitter. Um, but despite what you see on the, in the world of social media, Matt is one of, he's one of my favorite people on earth. I mean, he really is. He is he's a gem of a human being. He loves the game of football. He absolutely spent his entire life with football, and he is a joy to work with. He, he brings energy, and especially considering the circumstances. I mean, the man has a disease that, barring a heart transplant and other treatments, is going to kill him. There, there's, there is, there's no, well, maybe he'll live for 40 years as a result of it. No, it, it, and it goes along, and one day it drops off, and, and we don't know when that day is. Every single day that I get to spend with him in the booth, it's an absolute pleasure. It's an absolute honor. I am thrilled that he's back with us this year. I didn't think he would be when the season ended last year because he was exhausted and was barely able to function last year from a moving from point A to point B standpoint. Um, He's much better today than he was at the end of the year last year, but we're all waiting. I mean, right now, Matt is waiting for a heart transplant, this amyloidosis, and, and if you've not heard of amyloidosis, spend a little time on Google looking it up because it is something to educate yourself about. It's a very rare thing that does not get diagnosed in time for a lot of people to help them. And, and the, the best part about all of this, and I'll, I'll end on this, the best part about Matt sharing his story is that I, I got a message a week or so ago from somebody who had bought Matt's piece on BTN that my colleague Lisa Byington and our terrific production staff did at BTN. And I got a message on Twitter, and he said, Kevin, I, I will please pass this along to Matt. Matt, surprisingly, not on Twitter.com. Uh, so pass it along to Matt that we had been trying for years to figure out what was wrong with my stepdad. And I saw this piece, and the symptoms Matt described absolutely mirrored what my stepdad had been going through. And after six years... We finally have a diagnosis, and we can start treatment. So please let Matt know that what he's going through is helping others. And, and I told Matt that, and he paused, and 
you know, it's, it's an emotional time for him. It'd be emotional for any of us going through what he's going through. But I do think that's the thing that comes out of this that's a real positive, is that he is impacting lives by sharing his story. And I'm just grateful that he gets to share time in the booth and I get to share time with him each and every week. And uh, I always look forward to it. And, and I'll tell you this, I've learned a ton of football with Matt. I mean, I we sit and watch film together before games and he breaks stuff down and he shows me what he's looking for and what he looks at and why this guy is good and why this guy isn't good i if that that is there aren't too many people listening to this lance that wouldn't jump at the opportunity to sit in a film room with matt or anybody else who played at a high level in the game of football and break down film so that's 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 been a real thrill for me over the last several years his story is certainly, you know, incredibly inspiring. And, and, you know, regardless of what social media says, you know, we're so glad that, you know, he's beside you each and every Saturday again doing what he loves. You can follow him on Twitter at Kevin Kugler and, of course, can listen to him on BTN and on Westwood One. Kevin, thanks so much for coming on and talking some Big Ten and Rutgers football here on the On the Banks podcast. Lance, a pleasure to be on, and uh, good luck to Rutgers and, and good luck to Rutgers fans this season. Don't pull out your hair. Better times are coming. It just is. Uh, I know it's, it's it's pretty dark right now if you're a Rutgers fan, but hang in there. Things will things will turn. Time to make some bets. Here's your host, Lance Glenn. Sports betting is legal in the country and is already up and running in New Jersey, among other states. To talk about this week's line and to give his pick on the Rutgers Indiana game, I'm now pleased to be joined by Poker Pro and On the Banks contributor TJ Yurkevich. TJ, thanks so much for coming on again this week. No problem, Lance. So the line opened with Indiana as a 14-point favorite, and I believe that it has moved in some places as high as Indiana minus 16. When you saw the line open with the Hoosiers' two touchdown favorites on the road, were you at all surprised? Did you kind of expect that big of a of a you know a line? What was, I guess, your initial reaction to it? Uh, I think I was surprised for uh, another reason. I think I expected it to be uh, about 14.5 to 16.5. I think... Uh... I don't think Vegas really knows what us fans knows what's going on like inside the program and how, how much like of a downward slope we're, we're going on right now. The team is obviously dealing with a quarterback controversy of sorts, choosing between Art Sitkowski and, of course, Gio Rochino. What are your thoughts regarding the QB situation, and do you believe who Chris Ash chooses will affect the line in any way? I, I guess uh, Gio will take care of the ball a little better, whereas Art will probably, like, the odds of Indiana scoring on defense goes up dramatically if Art's playing in the game and just being set up in better field position with the interception. Gio's going to take care of the ball a little more, but it's not like both. It's not like either of them are going to give them a a much better shot of getting in their own end zone. Now, look, you're you're, you're two and one on the season, a chance to go three and one with your picks. Who are you putting your money on this weekend? Uh just like last week, I'm all over Indiana here. Uh, I see them, they're, they're like minus 16 and a half, minus 17. We're going to go with 16 and a half just so I can get a little edge on my pick here. But I just, I want the people listening to think about this for a second. I want them to think about how many points Rutgers would need to be getting in this game for you to start to consider putting your hard-earned money on them. Because for me, I came up with 28 and a half where I would just start considering putting my money on them. Like, that's how bad the team looks and that's how it's just a complete disarray, and that, that's my number. So TJ says put your money on Indiana this week. TJ, thanks so much once again for coming on. I look forward to doing it next week as well. No problem. Hope everyone drives down to Delaware Park to put that in. Follow SB Nation on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation, and you can find out when 
our next podcast is debuting.